Welcome to Title Talk, a podcast where we discuss all things real estate, from title-related issues, entrepreneurial up and downs, mortgage lending, and more. Now, your host of Title Talk, Claude and Bob. All right, and we're back with Josh Pearson. Josh, okay, you were just finishing up telling us about kind of how you got interested in real estate. And then at what point did you start seeking out relationships or partnerships with agents to kind of solidify that next step of actually getting into the business of selling insurance? So I had developed some relationships with agents just through doing real estate work. You know, they have an issue in a closing or whatever, and they call me and we, we kind of fix it or we help them do a probate for somebody that had a death and title. And then I started realizing that a lot of those folks would refer their clients to me first, and then we would refer them out for their title work or for their closing. And I'm like, man, I'm, I'm sure I'm referring out a lot of work that I could potentially be monetizing in some way. And so I kind of started to explore a little bit what it would look like to either start a standalone title company, or as I learned, being an attorney, you can be a fee office for an existing title company, which was really appealing to me because, you know, I'm not somebody who was raised in the title industry. I'm not somebody who has a whole ton of, you know, connections and knows everybody who's important. So uh, for me, I really wanted to make sure that whatever we were doing, we were doing at a very high level and that we weren't sticking our necks out there a lot with liability on things that we, you know, may not even know what we're stepping in. So that began the, uh, the search we looked at a gosh a ton of different title companies, and then we found these these two guys in in Dallas that were Texas Title. That uh, I like the name and the logo. Uh, I met the guys. Those two guys were kind of guys. assholes, but you know, <laughs> two, two, guys, sure. two guys in an old logo. <laughs> <laughs> I talked to you know some of the other names, and um, you know got an okay feel from them, but really just felt like with you two guys, without sounding real weird, we just kind of connected well and felt like we had a lot of the same goals and a lot of the same kind of growth aspirations and just were a good fit. And were we? Uh, jury's still out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're a good fit. You face some special challenges in Belton because you've got two well-established or at least two well-established title agents in that market. What considerations did you take in kind of formulating your business plan? Assuming, did you have a business plan when you when you started? Yeah, I, you know, sometimes I do, sometimes <laughs> yeah. I don't. In this particular case, I felt like it was kind of big enough transition. There were kind of two parts to it. One was we're going to kind of go to the existing ones that are there and say like, hey, I'm just putting this out there. I'm going to get into the title industry. I'm going to start doing some of that business. Would you be interested in some type of a partnership, whatever that looks like? And pretty much say we're all like, hell no. (laughs) Why do we need you? Why do we need you? We've been here forever. We own the market. Yeah, you know, we'll we'll throw you a deed here and there. And you kind of pat me on the head and send me on my way (laughs) with a little warm glass of milk. So I gave him the opportunity because I wanted to be able to say if things kind of got into a bigger scale, you know, Lord willing, that I gave you the opportunity. You didn't get blindsided. You knew this was coming. You had every opportunity to partner. And so that was one thing that we did. And then the other thing was just there have been other title companies that have come in that didn't have a local connection, that didn't have relationships. And so they come in and and they don't do the business that they want to do because you know, the older companies kind of have a stranglehold on it in that market. And then they leave. They fold up shop and they go to a different market where they have a better chance. And so for us, it wasn't like I was investing a ton of money into doing a standalone shop where my only income was going to come from whether or not title, you know, floated or not. And so for us, it was a, we're going to start it out of a a small apartment kind of type office in the back of our existing law firm. And we'll start with one person and see if we get traction. And so we did that in June of 2015. I started as the escrow officer and was, again, reading... (laughs) 
<laughs> reading as much as I could. I don't know if anybody's read the tech department of insurance manual, but it's not real riveting. Tried I typically to, hire that out. Right. Yeah. <laughs> when there's a need. <laughs> Try to get as educated as I could and, and start in that realm. So for us, we did have the relationships in the market. We did know a bunch of people. Um, you know, our families have been in that area for a long time. And so that was one leg up that we had on the others that had tried and failed. And then the other one, well, really two other ones. One was that it wasn't our whole business model to only do this. So we were paying the bills with the law firm and the title company was just kind of gravy at that time. But then the other thing was that they really kind of pissed me off. Uh, so I'm stubborn enough that I was like, this is going to succeed come hell or high water because I'm going to prove everybody here wrong. And so almost makes you when they don't want you, right? You're yeah. Like, well, I'm makes you show. work harder. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> Hey, we can, uh, we can do this. So we have a lot of attorneys that come to us and say, I'd like to be a fee attorney. And they're starting off kind of like you in the beginning, where they don't have a existing practice that you know does title work. They're starting up from the beginning, and they seem to flounder, for lack of a better word, for about six months, and then go, yeah, "This is too hard." What did you find the hardest part of kind of getting over that, and why were you able to do it where others aren't? So I think part of it is just I'm stubborn. Uh, you know, there were months where we didn't do very well and we didn't make much money on the title side. And so it would have been easy to kind of hang it up, if not for my stubbornness, I guess, um, and wanting to prove everybody wrong. There is a very real tension between I've got a going practice. I make decent money. Why am I going to take time away from billable hours with clients to go learn something new or to invest in something new? And I think that they have to see the long-term potential of when you're trading your time for money, there's only so much you can do. But when you're able to really invest and, and grow your team, then you're trading other people's time for money, and you can you can multiply that way more than you can your own your own time as an attorney. And so that was one of the determinations that that I kind of made just from a financial standpoint was how much better we could scale a title office than we could a law office. And you know the the overheads different and the numbers are all different, but ultimately it comes down to finding the right people. And that was probably the next biggest step that we took that, that has kind of led to where we're at now was finding. Really, really, really good people. For Claude and I, that's this kind of the same thing because we're only as good as we can be individually, mm -hmm. but with the great team. And I think what I find with people starting out too is they're hesitant to spend the money to hire that first, what I consider the one that runs everything for you, right? Mm -hmm. And where you can kind of, like you're saying, scale it a little bit. Yeah. I think Josh and I had a conversation about that early on was when you asked, what's the best thing I could do? And that was spend the money on finding a really good escrow officer. Yeah. And it took you about, what, six months? Yeah, I'd say six to eight months or so before I, I finally hired, you know, a real full-time escrow officer who'd been doing it for a while. And it is interesting because in the title industry, you, you do kind of have two worlds that collide sometimes. And one is kind of that older school title mentality where they've been doing it for 20 or 25 years, uh, and they kind of have how life operates for them. And then you've got kind of the newer crew that's more digital, that's more tech, that's more, you know, instant gratification type uh, personality. And so it is kind of hard to marry the two sometimes. And, and we've, we've <clears> learned a through that, that the most important thing you do with that is just set expectation. This is kind of our parameters. This is how we operate as a team. And when you sign on, you're signing on to operate under this kind of hybrid model where we try to marry everybody, marry everybody together as best we can. So kind of the adage of hire slow, fire fast, you know, making sure you have the right person. Sure. Because I think what happens too is people jump into it and think, you know, like Claude said, hire a good escrow officer, but then they hire the first one they find mm -hmm. thinking, I need, I need, I need. 
rather than let me find the one that fits. And it's not only the business, but the personalities, right? Because you, you work together so much, it becomes almost like a family inside. Yeah. And if they believe in what you're doing and you trust them to do it, it works fantastic. Yeah. Otherwise, you're always kind of in the mix. You know, yeah. what are you doing? What are you doing? They're like, let me do what you hired me to do. Right. And I think the best advice I can give somebody who's kind of new into the title industry from an attorney standpoint is you've got to be the one to do the work up front. You have to know from start to finish what everything is, where it goes, how it functions, how things depend on the others. You're going to have some files where you got to eat some crow and apologize because you made some mistakes. But being able to, to have mistakes and, and to learn from those and to do things differently, you know where all the pitfalls are. You've experienced all of it. So then when you hire people and they're going through some of those same things, you can you know exactly where they're at. You can empathize. And then also you can jump in and help when your team gets over, overworked or overloaded. You can jump in there and, and do actually some of the heavy lifting. And, and that builds a ton of appreciation and loyalty and respect from your folks on your team. So alternatively, what was the best advice you received before you got into the business? So I was interviewing uh, one of the one of the local attorneys that does some title work there in Belton interviewing. We were at lunch and just hanging out. And I asked him, what would you do differently if you had, you know, the, the time over the last 20 years back? And he said, well, I would I would do my own title company. I wouldn't just work for somebody else. And so as I was kind of thinking about that, uh, Texas title really is kind of a perfect model for us. I feel like I have ownership and I have say and I can make decisions, but I've also got the backbone of a statewide recognized name that does things right, that, that handles compliance issues. And so I, I'm never laying awake at night wondering if I'm going to get, you know, the bad phone call the next morning about something <laughs> really, really, really bad that we did. You know, I know we're in good shape. We've done everything right because of the leadership of the, that y'all have and then also kind of how we, how we run things on the ground level. You know, Bob and I started as fee attorneys, so we understand kind of that concept of being able to provide or hopefully we provide the support and the backbone that you need not only to close your business but also the support to continue to grow. Uh, and you went from two employees to how many employees now? Yeah, so we've got 14 now across. Uh, we've got an office in Belton, um, satellite office in Temple, one in Waco, one in College Station. And this year we're, we're looking at at least one more market, but, but maybe up to two or three more. How's your wife enjoy the expansion? So she enjoys it because she gets to go to the offices and like <laughs> buy the decor and decorate. And um, she's a really, really good judge of, of character and people. And so anytime we have like a really important position we want to hire for, we always get her pulled in. Jackie Wigginton, who's kind of our director of operations across all of our offices, is, is a really good people person as well. And so we kind of do the, the hiring by committee because I may feel really good about a person, but if they say no, I'm like, well, okay, you know, we're going we're gonna to make the decision as a team. And the ones that we've all agreed upon are the ones that have worked out the best and the ones that I've kind of <laughs> trusted my own judgment on. Uh, I've realized I may not be the best judger. So That's so funny. Well, my, wife, my wife, when we say, oh, yeah, this person left or we had to fire this person, she goes, I told you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, when? He's like, you know I did, yeah. right? Thanks for the support, honey. <laughs> As you grow and, and more and more employees, having the right mix of employees and hiring the right people is just as important as whether they control business or they're really good at their job. If you put that one person or one or two people in the mix and they don't mesh well with you and your other employees, it can create a worse situation. You yeah. What we try to do is we're going into new markets and as we're growing our teams in existing markets, 
We start with kind of what's the existing kind of title escrow pool, like who are the players right now, and then you kind of interview them and determine if you do think that they would be good fits or even if they're willing to interview with you. Uh, some of them aren't. But usually I found that, that the vast majority of people are willing to at least listen to, you know, the opportunity and then, you know, they can make a decision from there. But but we don't stop at the at the existing title pool. We go to other, you know, other you know, people that may be in lending or people that may be in real estate or um, you know, people that may be in property management. Uh, some of those people that have the personality uh, and have the desire are, are some of our best best people. They didn't know title necessarily, but we taught them title. They were the right person. And so that's been hugely beneficial to our growth is you surround yourself with people you genuinely like being around and that do a great job, that work hard and that have a team mentality. And you can be selling tires or women's shoes (laughs) or title insurance and you're going to be successful. What's the most difficult part of going into a new market? So you're in Waco, which is smaller town like Belton, right? Mm -hmm. And so if you're not from there, or even College Station. What are some of the issues, Kenny, you can talk about where for someone who's looking to do the same thing, besides being stubborn, yeah. what is, <laughs> how do you overcome them? Sure. So uh, really in every new market that we go into, we have to take some time and kind of inventory what, what is this market? What drives the market? Um, you know, is it is it young families that are buying homes? Is it College Station where it's, you know, there's 75,000 students that are flipping and uh, houses and, and mom and dad are, are putting kids in rent houses and that type of stuff. You got to understand the market. Uh, and I think that's one of the biggest pieces because every market is so different. What we do in Belton doesn't necessarily work in Waco. And what we do in Waco doesn't work in College right. Station. But understanding the market, getting a feel for what drives it and what's going to be successful and who the players are. But then again, it's just finding the right people because I wouldn't start an office like if I was you know to do it all over again, I wouldn't go to Austin and start a title fee office because I don't know enough people in Austin. I don't have relationships because when you're building, you've got to have those people you can call and say, hey, listen, I am really really need a contract or I really want a chance or whatever. Right. Because we're friends, will you trust me with that? And then you get that first file and they go, oh, my gosh, you actually didn't screw that up too bad. <laughs> right. And, you know, we kind of had refer you to someone else. Yeah, and- kind of had fun at the closing table and, you know, you offered – to, you know, coordinate my survey for me that somebody else wouldn't, would never do. And man, that makes life easier on me. And then it kind of snowballs. But if you don't have those personal relationships where you can make those calls, then you're, you're liable to be sitting there with a, in a dark room with a phone not ringing. Right. And the other is in doing that is having the right people that you can trust and take a day off every once in a while. We have great people that I trust, but I still have problems taking a day off. Yeah. But it is, you know, where, kind of like what you said, where you can go to bed at night and not worry. Yeah. Our kind of main tagline across all of our offices and our brand is that people are our business. And that really does start with the people on our team. Because if I say that family is important to me and I want to spend time with my family, well, I want family to be important for you. And I want you to have the freedom to be able to spend time with your family too. And so that's something that we try to do as much as possible is promote that. We don't want people working until 7 and 8 o'clock every night because they get burned out. And work's not fun when you're burned out. You make mistakes when you're burned out. You know, your family starts, uh, you know, having their dynamic at home when, when you're missing a lot. And so we try to identify areas where if somebody's, you know, working two or three nights in a row late, hey, what, what are you doing? How can we help, number one? Or are we being efficient? Are we not? Do you have too much on your plate? Because, you know, it's hypocritical of me to say family's important to me and I want to spend time with them, but your family's not important right. to me. And so that's that's something that's really, I think, helped build our culture and helps us to get buy-in from everybody. And I think that's why Texas Title and Bob and I and you have gotten along so well is we have that same culture for our company as well. Even though we're growing, we still want to make it a focal point about the employees, the time they're at work, you know, make it, you know, the tagline is a place called home. 
and really, really make it a, a family-oriented business. And that mentality that you have, I think, meshes really well with us and is, is kind of a, a statement to your success. The first, when you tell people, what do you do? Oh, I'm, I'm in title. A first response I get more often than not is, man, there's a lot of money in title. <laughs> <laughs> my response is always, yeah, there's also a lot of really good people entitled because I feel like if you put people in front of money, you're going to be successful way more often than not. And when you start thinking about uh, what's that file mean and how much money and how much more could I make if I do this or that, if you just take care of your people, they're going to take care of their people and, and the rest kind of takes care of itself. So are you, have you transitioned out of your legal practice for the most part and concentrating mostly on, on title now? Yeah. So we, uh, up until actually December of this last year, we still had a family law arm of our firm where I uh, had other attorneys that handled that. And as of December, we, we kind of transitioned out of all that. So our law office is now essentially, uh, we do you know probate and estate planning work because that funnels into title a lot. We do some business stuff and then Probably 80% of our practices title-related, real estate-related, um, you know, whether it's drafting or putting deals together or papering up lender transactions, whatever that may be. All right, we're going to go 180. We're going away from title. All right. We're, we're going to go for some fun facts about Josh. Okay. Hunting or fishing? Oh, I've got to pick one? Just <laughs> Not necessarily. <laughs> no, so <clears throat> my dad was military growing up, and uh, so... He wasn't able to be around a lot. That's one of the reasons he flew Apache helicopters. And so really cool job and was in for 26 years. Um, and people always ask, well, why didn't, why didn't you go into the Army? That's really cool. And the main reason was because I didn't, we didn't get to see my dad a whole lot. He taught me a lot of things about patriotism and honor and working hard and respect. But, you know, the, the time element wasn't necessarily there. And so some of my most fond memories uh, of being a kid was when we got to take a fishing trip, when we go down to the Bell County Sportsman's Dock and get to – sit in a little in a little hut and fish through the floor uh, and things like that. And so that kind of sparked my love, I think, for the outdoors and for you know, hunting and fishing and, and that type of regard. We we're mostly hunters. Uh, we we're like bird hunters, dove hunters, because that was easier to go out and do just, you know, w- once a year or something. Instead you just of, stand on the back porch. Right. Yeah, you stand <laughs> on the back porch with your, uh, with your little 410 shotgun and shoot any bird and just act like they were a dove, you know. Uh, but, and so that's why I think kind of early on and now – um, you know, we've been fortunate. We've got some property there in Belton that I kind of maintain the front half and the back half I can hunt on. And, and we've got a creek that runs through so we can fish there. And uh, some of my fondest memories, and I hope my girls feel the same way, are, you know, fishing for perch in the creek and just kind of having an afternoon where we just walk around and, you know, do a little nature walk or things like that. I just I feel like when I'm outdoors, I'm closer to God and I'm a much nicer person to be around the next day. There's nothing. There's nothing better too than having when your kids catch that fish. Oh yeah, and it doesn't matter if it's like twelve inches long or three inches long. They're, oh my god! Yeah, they caught something. Yeah, so we go. I go to the Louisville Barge a lot, or up by the house, and uh, he'll sit there. My youngest will sit there for hours yeah. and hours and hours. It's a great time. Yeah, and the conversations that you have, and you know, you're just hanging out together and spending time together. I mean, there's. It's funny because everybody, you know, we have three girls and they're like, hey, do you want that boy so you can do like boy stuff? And uh, I tell them, I, all three of my girls can shoot a bow better than their boy cousins. You know, they can outfish them. They can, uh, they can outride them. I mean, they, they are, uh, 
they are girly girls, but they can they can if you bring them with you. Well, well versed, yeah. well versed in all things, yeah, exactly. self sustainable and, and yeah. hunting. Yeah, yeah. the goal Fishing. is uh, there was a, a they'll saying. be able to kill anyone that comes near them. <laughs> exactly, there's a saying that uh, it's like, hey, I'm raising my girls so that you know young prospective suitors don't need to be so worried about me. They need to be more worried about my daughter. Uh, that's that's the hope. What do you do when you're not working? Uh, well, my wife, my wife would tell you there's not much time I'm not working, but. The, the cell phone, man, it just makes it so easy to be able to disconnect a little bit, but still, you know, you're keeping up on your emails and that type of stuff. Uh, you ask me what I do when I'm not working, and I just tell you how I work when I'm not supposed to be. I love to be outdoors. We like to travel, and so, like for Christmas, we just got a little VRBO house up in Oklahoma City and just drove up. We've never been there, don't know anybody there, but just wanted to kind of experience the city, and so we like to do that. And um, really anything outside, if I'm hunting or fishing or I like to uh, to clear land and put in fences and ride my tractor and burn, burn stuff. I yeah, hear, burn hear, stuff. Like, I, ha- I need some fence work done, <laughs> and uh, the tornado <laughs> went by the house, and yeah. Uh, yeah. So there you go. I'll sit you. I'll It'd be you more a like a hobby. <laughs> I'm probably not going to be the most affordable option. But, I thought it, I thought uh, it was a hobby. I didn't know you were you yeah. were looking for work. Yeah, the burn piles. The <laughs> <laughs> the Bell County Volunteer Fire Department, they get calls quite a bit on our place. So they just, they drive the truck up in the drive and they'll get out and come shake my hand and take a look and then they'll hop back in the truck and drive away. But we call it in most of the time when we're going to burn, but you never know when you're walking by a pile and you're like, hey, it right. needs to be burned today. So All right, one skill you have that maybe we don't know about. Hmm. Besides arson. Besides <laughs> arson. Besides arson. <laughs> Not many men can say that they are expert hair fixers. So when you have three girls, though, and you trade out with your wife a lot, like in law school, when you're having to get the kids ready and she's not there, you learn how to braid, you learn how to do pigtails, you learn how to do all sorts of stuff. And so you're just an all-American dad. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> now, they'll tell you now, like the 13-year-old now, she'll let me brush her hair, but that's about it. She's like, you're, you know, she cares more about her friends at this point uh-huh. than she does about my I'll give feelings. it a couple of years. You won't even be touching that hair. <laughs> no, uh-uh, yeah. Dad. Yeah, right. the 11-year-old lets me. Of course, the 6-year-old loves it. Like, if she'd have me braid her hair every day if I would, uh, if I would agree to that. All right, golfer. Golfer, I love golf. What's one golf experience you'd like to forget? Oh, so the qualifier for the Texas State Open was uh, <laughs> what's one of my low moments in golf. What year and where? So it was like maybe 03 or 04. The qualifier course that I chose was uh, Lake Whitney. I think it's the Bluffs at Lake Whitney. I was playing quite a bit. My brother-in-law was the assistant GM and then later the GM at Buffalo Creek Golf Club in uh, Rockwall. And so we didn't have kids. We were young married. And so my wife would kind of do her studying thing from school, and I would go just play golf with my brother-in-law. And so we got pretty good. And so I thought, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this qualifier and see if I can make it in the Texas State Open. That'd be cool. (laughs) I went and played a practice round, and I think I shot low 70s, 73, 74, something like that, and had a couple of shots. And I was like, I I could do way better with that if I had another opportunity. So for the qualifier, I figured I needed to shoot somewhere between 76 and 78. So I'm like, this is in the bag. I'm going to go in there. This is going to be easy. <laughs> and so I show up First and mistake right seeing there. some of the fancy bags and some of the fancy trousers that people are wearing. And I'm just like, I'm so out of my league right now. Because I'm probably wearing like a baseball cap that I got in college and, you know, hand-me-down shoes and some old golf clubs. But so I par number one, I par number two. And number three is a... Um, par three with like a big drop off on the left that goes into some heavy trees. 
and I pulled my shot left, and I get over there, and I had an argument with the rules official about whether an unplayable eye. <laughs> I was saying I could take two club links on an unplayable, and he was saying I could only take one. Well, one puts me right in the middle of a bunch of crap that I wasn't going to be able to hit out of. And so we argued for a while. I may have called him a few names. I finally took my one club length that he was allowing me, and, of course, it goes right in the middle of the junk. Well, I end up making triple on that hole. So the next hole, my brother-in-law, who's my caddy, was just like, hey, man, screw it. Hit driver. So great caddy advice <laughs> as I was running hot. So I'm, a, I'm a redhead. I had some, some of my ginger blood going crazy, and I uh, hit two out of bounds. And then on um, the next hole, I hit two in the water. And, and then you started drinking beer. <laughs> then, did, you, did you even bother was, finishing? So I played the last 11 holes at one under par. Wow. And I shot 88. <laughs> <laughs> so that tells you that's a good, uh, that's, how bad those, those middle four, those those four, middle holes four were, right? or five holes, they were terrible. So that was the low spot of my golfing career. That's a funny story. Yeah. We have last couple things, so rapid-fire questions. Okay. What's the best barbecue in Belton? Miller's Barbecue, no doubt. Best barbecue in the state of Texas. Ooh. Yeah. Next time, we were checking to see if we could take you to Cadillac today, but it's not open. Oh. Uh, it's Thursday, Friday, and what? Saturday. Saturday. Yeah. Okay. So you have to come back. But oh, then well. after that, we'll see who's, because uh, that's really good. We'll compare Cadillac and Miller's, and we'll, and we'll see what we think. If you could have dinner with two people, past or present, who would they be? Don't you? If you're a Christian, don't you always have to say Jesus? Like, <laughs> no, because I think it's it's mandatory. He's he's been the answer for a couple of our, our in, guests. In, yeah. in theory, yeah. in theory, don't you break bread every weekend with him? Right. That's true. Every so, day, Bob. Yes. Every day. Thank you. <laughs> I would say George W. Bush. I think a lot of him one or two and his character George W. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, uh, I would love to to hang out with him and spend some time with him. And then probably my grandfather, he passed away in 2010, didn't get to see me graduate law school and didn't get to see us get married. So that was good. But just a heck of a man, did a lot in his life and taught me a lot. And so love to uh, love to have have a meal with him just one more time. Where would we find you if you won the lottery? Probably on my tractor. <laughs> <laughs> would it be a new tractor? <laughs> so I told my wife. Would it be a big oh, tractor? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I'd probably have five or six, you know, all the different attachments. And then I have to build barns to put them all in. But, no, I told my wife, like, my dream job, this is probably not smart to say, but I would love to, like, have a business where I help guys set up, like, their deer leases, where you go out to this, like, fresh piece of property, and you kind of figure out the lay of the land and where they should have food plots and where they should have stands, and, and then to actually go and put all that stuff in, that would be really cool. You, but, you would just be getting there in a helicopter. Yeah, exactly. I would <laughs> land in a helicopter, and we would survey it all out, have the top-of-the-line GPS run equipment. It'd be great. That's funny. How about perfect destination vacation? Perfect destination. So I didn't used to be a beach guy because I'm a ginger, right? So my whole life I've grown up getting really, really bad sunburns. I, I know that pain. However, this last July, we went for the first time down to Mexico. And there's just something about being able to sit under like this big giant shade tree, right? And, uh, and have tacos <laughs> and cerveza brought to you and you don't have to move the whole day. Uh, that, was, that was pretty awesome. So I would... That's pretty. If you win the lottery, you can do that's that. That's top house. five, maybe. I'll buy my own island. And, right. you know, be great. So that's top five. But places like Costa Rica or Belize would be really cool just to see different parts. My wife went to Australia when she was in college, and so we've always talked about wanting to go back there. That'd that's really funny. Cool. My wife did as well. She loved it. Yeah, I would really enjoy that. I think. And then, of course, Europe. We went a couple of years ago for the first time since I lived there in Germany when I was a kid, and I love that man. The Netherlands was so cool, and Belgium, and all those different places. So. Interesting. 
All right, we're going to go back to the question you dodged before, which is what question will you leave for our next guest? Mm, what is the biggest failure that you've had in your career? Because it tells a lot about a person. We always ask that in our interviews is tell me about one time that you failed really bad. And the people that are like, gosh, I really I don't, I don't remember. I don't think. Oh, I Those are not 10. the people that you want to hire, right? <laughs> right. You want to hire the ones right. like, oh, my God, where do I choose yeah. from? Yeah, I've got a hundred, right? right? Yeah. And people in a business I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Come on now. If I was great at everything, I wouldn't be needing a job. Right. Some of the biggest you know, mistakes you can make in running a business is not allowing people to fail or have failure. You know, They mess up, and you're like, shame them, and you do like everybody takes turns hissing at them in, in corporate staff meeting. But you got to be able to fail and to learn from it and to move on because all of us do. So Yeah, we always, when we fail, we just hope it's not as expensive as we think it might be. <laughs> how big is the check? Yeah. How, yeah. how big is that well, failure yeah. depends when, on the check. Our learning experience, we've learned that the less expensive they are, they're so much better. Yeah. Well, and <laughs> but we've got some that have been doozies. Yeah. <laughs> and you know when they call and they're telling you about the mess up, when they're like, okay, so what's it going to cost? And they don't say. They just go, well, I need you to understand the background. You're like, oh, my Lord. Or it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. It's always worse <laughs> oh, than what I think worse. it's way worse, yeah. All right, thanks, Josh. Thank you for listening to Title Talk with Bob and Claude. If you enjoyed hearing about these stories and want to learn more, please tune in next time where we share the more stories and insights. Please check us out on Spotify and iTunes and subscribe to our podcast and leave a great review. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Title Talk. If you have enjoyed today's podcast, please give us a five-star rating. And also be sure to subscribe on all major platforms, iTunes, Spotify, and more.